It's just that I felt personally beaten up by it because I didn't complete it. I felt beaten up. I did have a breakdown. I had a nervous breakdown. There were so many aspects of the Smile album and the elements and, and all the things that made up the record that he just, uh, he had to, to just let it go. Because it came at a time when Brian was just really finding it difficult to stay focused. He wasn't getting any enjoyment out of it. It wasn't fulfilling him, it was painful. So uh, we made Smiley smile instead. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Sail On Podcast. This is Wyatt in Nashville, Tennessee. Where else would I be right now, right? So how's everyone been? Well, I'm okay. And uh, whether you're busy doing nothing or you're hunkered down in your workshop, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying safe in your neck of the woods. I'm extremely proud and excited to kick off our extensive look at the Smile Sessions, starting today with the help of our crew as we find out what transpired during the lengthy gap between Pet Sounds and Smiley Smile. But first, let's celebrate the news. Rolling Stone launched a video series of home performances called In My Room, and naturally the first installment was our very own Brian Wilson performing Love and Mercy and Do It Again from his living room. Hi, my dear friends. I hope everybody's okay during this hard time we're all going through. Please take care of yourselves and your families. Love, Brian. Ah, sweet, sweet Bri. You can go check those out at rollingstone.com. Last month, Mike Love listed his eight-bedroom, 18,000-square-foot Rancho Santa Fe estate just north of San Diego for the low, low price of $9 million. There's a tennis court, a wet bar, fireplace, pool, custom-built dressing room, a guest house, too, just in case the eight bedrooms weren't enough. I think we should all pitch in a few bucks and buy this thing. What do you guys say? Every time I think about Mike's luxury homes, I think about that amazing episode of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous where he's writhing around in that little waterfall. Don't miss a sizzling second of the next Lifestyles. Good vibrations keep getting better for Beach Boy Mike Love. As you probably guessed, many of the Beach Boy's spring dates have been canceled, or in some cases, rescheduled to the fall. That info can be found on thebeachboys.com. And Brian Wilson's summer tour in the UK is not rescheduled yet, but we'll probably know more about that in the coming weeks. Similarly... All of our dates with the Sail On Band up through May are being rescheduled as well. And we don't have a whole lot of info at the moment, but um, I hope to have some new dates for you guys as we figure this whole thing out. I do want to say thanks to some of the listeners and friends that came out to see us on our tour of the West Coast. Jeremy, Danny, Stanton, Grady, Aaron, PJ, and Paul. It was great seeing all of you guys, and I'm Really sorry to those who were planning to come see us over the last month, but couldn't. We are going to do our best to reschedule everything. So check out sailonsounds.com for up-to-date info. Thanks, guys.
Okay, so you guys have probably heard me mention these guys on our Good Vibrations episodes. And today, they are joining me. This is Will and John. Thank you guys for coming on the show. Hello. Thanks for having us. I found these guys through a mutual friend, I guess. So I met a guy from the Beach Boys Discord about a year ago named Clayton. Shout out to Clayton. And uh, he lives in Nashville. And we met up and talked for a long time about the Beach Boys. And I was telling him how intimidated I was about the smile sessions. And and the more that I would read into it, the more intimidating it would seem. And uh, he immediately was like, yeah, you got to talk to these guys, Will and John. They really know their stuff. They put a lot of work into it. So I reached out. Yeah, so I hired professional nerds. (laughs) So I reached out to you guys. um, And that was probably like eight months ago or something. It's been a, it's been a while. First, let's just, let's just start from the beginning and, and let's talk about, so Will, you're in like Northern England, correct? Yeah, yeah, Northeast of England. How did you discover the Beach Boys and um, how did you kind of get involved to a point where you started becoming almost like a historian? <laughs> um, oh God. Um, I think I sort of first properly got into them with, um, it would have been the, Fantastic Mr. Fox soundtrack with Heroes and Villains on it. Um, mm-hmm. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I don't think I probably got into them like until a few years after that, though. But yeah, um, yeah, it was by like, Heroes and Villains and Old Man River on that soundtrack album. And I can remember the thing that kind of like got me, because like, my, my sort of backgrounds in like film over music um, was like the fact that like in Heroes and Villains, the verse going into the chorus just suddenly sounded like, a whole other song had just literally been spliced in there. And it was like, you know, I hadn't really heard anything like that before. And obviously I went and kind of looked it up afterwards and found out that's literally what they did. So that kind of, you know, hooked my interest and sort of spiraled from there and just ruined my life and now I'm here. <laughs> John, you're on the West Coast of the United States. Uh, I'm actually in Northern California right now. How did you discover this group? I've kind of been into the Beach Boys my whole life. Um, my parents played like pet towns over and over again as a kid. So it's kind of the first music I ever heard and got into. And now it's all I listen to. But I had a couple of like greatest hits compilations growing up. Like I had that, I listened to Sounds of Summer yeah. over and over again um, and pet sounds. And then it wasn't till a little while later that I like kind of dove into the catalog and found out about all these like album tracks and B sides. And then after that, it took me even longer to get into like all the post pet sound stuff, like Smiley Smile. So I actually have only really been listening to the Smile stuff for just a couple of years now. You guys have kind of been working together and compiling notes and sources to put together kind of a, a master list, if you will, of sessions and such. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, don't know what the end game for it is, but we've sort of just like gone over and sort of like reviewing kind of like the session credits for every single fragment like one by one we've gone over literally everything just to kind of like check things and see if that instrument's right or whatever and you know like uncover like you know things that have just been kind of unknown and uh, among other things we've gone through like every single i think background part on the whole every recording and worked out who's singing what notes on every single one um yeah yeah (laughs) so i think we're gonna start with a overview today and then um we're probably gonna do about nine or ten episodes we'll see how it goes but (laughs) i definitely wanted to give good vibrations its own spotlight uh, because 
it you know it was kind of a bridging point between pet sounds and smile mm. and not only in the timeline but in the style and the concept and the recording um yeah i mean physically as well like the verses are you know i think from pet sounds that ended up yeah like, in the final song. it's yeah exactly it's super interesting you know that was recorded over a long period of time but brian was also tinkering with these smile ideas or feels as he called them throughout those good vibration sessions and as early as may 11th um just five days before pet sounds was released brian started working on heroes and villains yeah so that was kind of we don't really know what that was there was just a session you know it was logged as heroes and villains um but we don't have the tape for that whatever it is and it was a gold star and there's kind of a lot of musicians there but this was a few months before brian and van dyke were actually brian and van dyke parks were actually writing together so it was maybe just you know a different thing they use the title or just you know the basic music of it that you lately that you later kind of like turn into a song but yeah we don't really know what that whole session was moving into august we've got um i guess the first existing smile session am i correct yeah the first um the first non-good vibrations thing was in right because he brian didn't go in the studio at all in july for whatever reason he just wasn't you know he was maybe writing songs or just preoccupied with being sad about pet sounds not hmm. doing too so well. So maybe I guess I guess maybe he was working on all this new material at the time, um, or just eating sandwiches. Yeah, um, um, <laughs> as you like to do. There's, um, there's oh god, I don't know, I don't know where I put this, but there's um, there was an article from NME at the time, like I think mm-hmm. it was um, reported on like. So early August, I, can't, I, can't, I don't know what the date was, but it said that it, Brian's written five new songs, um, five songs for whatever the new album is. But obviously, Wind Chimes was one that you did with Van Dyke. But if you listen to the first session, you can hear him like mumble the first line. So maybe, you know, he started writing the lyrics by himself and got hmm. him to kind of like collaborate on it later. So, yeah. Here we go. We go for it. It's called Wind Chimes. Brian had written five songs for the new album. So what do we think those songs are? I mean, does Good Vibrations uh, count as one of those, I'm uh, guessing? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say, like, Good Vibrations, Heroes and Villains. Wind Chimes. Yeah. Good Vibrations, maybe Wonderful. Look was recorded, like, a week yeah. later. Um, right. Well, Childless Father of the Man was one of those, which is... Um, okay. Because right. um, on, you know, on August 12th, he did the track for Look, which was... Well, it's just untitled, but it said Look on the, um, <laughs> Look gotcha. on the tape box. Um, and Tom Nolan, for this, this, there was this article, you know, it mentions him uh, talking to Barney Castle and recording a, a piece of the song called... A piece of 12th Street uh, Rag, which gets called out on, like, hey, that's copyright material. And Brian was like, it's okay, I'll, I'll pay for it. So... We know that's the day he was interviewed, and he says in that interview that, um, you know, the new album's going to be called Dumb Angel, and um, Childless Father of the Man's one of the new songs that he's written by himself, so. the uh, We, we might have mentioned this before, but the party at Derek Taylor's house um, was at the end of that month as well. Yeah. Paul McCartney and George Harrison were, were there. On August 25th, they started recording uh, Wonderful, and he gives speeches. Maybe he gives speeches. That might have been on September 1st, but we're not sure. Gotcha. Either one. Right. And it's interesting with all these songs that he's done so far, like the first Heroes and Villains, Wind Chimes, Look, Wonderful, they're all kind of full songs, like from front to back. Mm -hmm. So on some of them, he's kind of 
you know, cheating with the recording and, and like, um, like if the band messes up at some point during the song, they'd start it from like halfway through and then you'd splice it together. But he hasn't actually like written any new songs with this like modular style in mind like he will later. On or before uh, September 10th was when Brian asked Van Dyke Parks to collaborate with him. Brian said, come on up and listen to some sounds. I went up to his house. He had a four track. He had an eight track. Whatever machinery he had. And an artist he was deserving of this equipment that impressed me along with the steaming swimming pool at Brian's house, which on that mountaintop in the Hollywood Hills was an example of the energy expanse, the avarice or apparent avarice of what Hollywood represents. Brian Wilson and I then went into a collaboration at his house. And um, Frank Holmes, who was, you know, they got in touch with um, him to do the artwork. He was, um, he was a friend of Van Dyke, so, he, you know, he, he, they asked him if he wanted to do the artwork for this album. Like, very, it would have been very shortly afterwards, like, because we know we know exactly when Frank would have been asked this, and there was a, a really short window of like him and Van Dyke starting to work together. So they would have literally like written a song that day, and then the next day gone mm. and asked Frank Holmes to do the artwork. Um, oh wow! So yeah, Frank Holmes was like, "Okay, I've got an idea for this." And then he went home to Pasadena um, for a bit. And on Sunday, uh, I think it's worked out Sunday, uh, September eleventh, he walked by this shop window that kind of gave him the inspiration for the Smile Shop cover, and. Yeah, so by September 19th, he started his new semester at the Otis Art Institute back in LA. So he moved back to LA and had already started working on the drawings then. So that's kind of just an idea of like how quickly this whole thing happened from, you know, Brian asking Van Dyke to work with him to suddenly writing a load of songs and getting an artist involved for the, the artwork and everything. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like um, definitely at this point and kind of moving into the end of the year brian was like super inspired and and was really excited about the project um mm-hmm. and that that kind of kind of fell off at some point but mm-hmm. um they are finally finishing good vibrations uh and also uh working on what was called at the time prayer yeah yeah i, th- I, don't, I don't know why we started at the time i think it was just like an untitled Mm-hmm. Call it intro yeah. to the album. But, um, on on this on the session tape, you can hear Al suggest that it be an actual song. He says this this could be a track, but Brian says no. This is just a little intro. We have to get it out. The accomplishment. This this could be another. Uh, this could be considered a track. Yeah. Not really though. We don't want to do that. Like it's beautiful. This is a little intro, you know, to the album. Okay, this is <coughs> intro to the album. Take one, and uh, we're going to definitely need a C-sharp. Brian, direct, okay? All right, Mm -hmm. let's try to really pull it off good now. Here we go. So, yeah, so so Michael Michael Vossi, who is um, kind of a journalist that ended up working with Brian a little bit later, but he went up to interview Brian. It would have been, like, probably early September, just after he'd started working with Van Dyke, and uh, to, you know, just to talked to him about Pat Sounds and what he was doing and everything. And Brian kind of said that uh, the album was going to be called Dumb Angel, but now he was doing a thing called Smile. So that was his whole kind of like thing he wanted to do, a humor album, like getting... Basically, the, the idea of the album was it was to give people sort of spiritual enlightenment, I guess, if, mm-hmm. if that's a realistic goal. Um, 
but yeah, that, that, that's what the whole smile thing was about, really. The key word for Brian was humor. If you could get humor into the world, into any situation, you wouldn't have problems. That's the essence of Brian. He felt that the moment somebody laughed, that while they're laughing, that all control is gone. They cannot control themselves. And at that moment, they can have a spiritual experience. Brian holds a dinner party at some point in, in September, right? Near, mm. near the end of September. And uh, he and Van Dyke Parks play Cabin Essence and surfs up to the guests at the party, which I think maybe is depicted in Love and Mercy. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably like a version of it. Um, yeah, so it would have been like Brian Marilyn, Van Dyke and his wife, Dory, David Annalay and his wife, Michael Vossi, Jules Siegel, he was a writer, um, Mark Volman from The Turtles, and uh, Frank Holmes was probably there as well, we think. He kind of mm-hmm. you know, got everyone up to his house and they played bits of what would be Cabin Essence and Surf's Up and Preview Good Vibrations to everyone. Um, this was this was just before we properly started kind of recording like yeah. the new songs. Hey Van, what do you and Brian have cooking? No, just your basic American songbook, neoclassical ditties, basic Copeland, Gershwin, Hank Williams, and a bit of Irving Berlin and Kurt Vile, just a sprinkle of Beethoven and the Beach Boys. So nothing too ambitious. <laughs> Brian wants to call it Smile. It's interesting how in like this tiny period of time so far, just like less than a month, they've written like so many fantastic songs. Like they've written Cabin mm-hmm. Essence and Surf's Up and Van Dyke's probably added lyrics to Wonderful and they've done Heroes and Villains. Um, so they were really working really fast. Like this whole project started with an insane amount of like productivity. Mm. So, moving into October. Um, when everything happens. They're back at Gold Star. Um, and I'm going to move quickly through this because we'll be here all day. Yeah, they just recorded a lot of songs really quickly in that month. Cabin Essence, <laughs> Our Prayer. The, the version that came out eventually. Uh, wind Chimes. New version of Wind Chimes, partial. As, as the month rolls on, they're working in Western and Columbia, doing Wonderful, Child is Father of the Man, Wind Chimes, Cabin Another Essence. version of Child is Father of the Man, like only four days later, which is insane. <laughs> yeah. And then I Ran, I'm in Great Shape, and there's, a, there's an addendum on that session that says it could be vegetables. Yeah, I'll talk, I'll talk about that now just because like, we probably won't get yeah. the chance to cover it. But it's, uh, there was, um, there's something, there's like paperwork or something that kind of like... Well, there's an AFM contract, which it says was formerly known as Untitled Song 1, which would have been Look, and he used the same master number. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, this is kind of this, you know, this is the same AFM contract for a, a session for what was looks like a vocal session for a retitled version of Look. But like the time of the song, it says it was 3 minutes 50, which Look was nowhere near that. And obviously we don't have the tape for that. We, so we have no idea what that what was happening there. Um, and there's another session on October 17th at Columbia, which was apparently for I'm in Great Shape, which again, that was a part of Heroes and Villains. Um, but like, whatever this was, we either don't have it or it was the session for the first version of Vegetables, which is just complete speculation because, you know, the health sort of theme. Um, we, we, we really don't know because we don't know when that version of Vegetables was recorded and we don't know what was done in that session. So that's just kind of a guess. Yeah, it, it could have just been titled I'm in Great Shape at that time. 
Yeah. So many mysteries here. Um, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm going to be playing the Unsolved Mysteries theme a lot during this <laughs> next year. It's good. Um, yeah, moving on. Um, do you like Worms? October 18th at Western. Yeah, just the backing track for it. And then straight away afterwards, he went over to Columbia to do the vocals. And probably is when he recorded this really weird, like, 20 minute long tape with all of his friends in like a dark studio just arguing with each other and it's a really uncomfortable weird listen yeah <laughs> that, was, that was probably what happened then brian you've had a lot of fun with your songs so what makes you laugh uh well see makes me laugh. Uh, arguments and then he started a couple of days later like the track for heroes and villains properly as well yeah so these october sessions are kind of like the start of like this new smile project where all these songs are recorded in in sections so he'll go to the studio with like the whole song written and just do the verse and then the chorus and then you know any any bridge or like fade out and then splice that together later with copy and paste of parts as well which is like a big sort of innovation yeah was western still um only um a four track studio western was four track but Brian had okay. like his own eight track machine that we know he brought to the studio right. like two or three times. He so. still preferred Western, but he went to Columbia mostly to do tracks, eight though. tracks, yeah. right? For vocals. Mm. Mostly. Yeah, mostly. Right. Some of the time okay. it was at Western, but most at Columbia. So they recorded the Good Vibrations promo video um, at some point in October. Um, yeah. Which, you know, you see them with the fire hats. So, and I know there's. Um, we'll get to it, but I know there's a little bit of controversy about what the actual footage is in the studio where they're wearing the fire helmets. Oh yeah, the, the um, studio footage would have been sometime after they got back from tour in Europe because of a magazine Carl's reading, but we just don't know when that was. Were they planning on putting good vibrations on the new album? They would have been, yeah, because it was the new single, and when they yeah. eventually got gotcha. the album cover, it was like it was on the back cover. Brian said it was going to be on the album. It was plastered all over the front cover. You know, it's good vibrations three times, so it was yeah. going to be on there. Um, I, I don't, I don't really see any universe where Smile gets released and Good Vibrations isn't on there. The music fits perfectly with all the rest of the Smile sessions, and it's got the same like modular uh, recording style, and it's just all over the cover. And even if he tried to like release Smile without it, um, I mean, Capital definitely would have just put it on there like they did with Smiley Smile anyway. You should kind of mention as well the kind of the, the other people that Brian was kind of like bringing into the whole thing. Yeah. So um, yeah, so there was um, David Andalay who was um, brought on to kind of like help start up uh, Brother Records. Right. I became associated with Brian because his music was just killing. I loved it, and all of a sudden there were like new elements in the Beach Boy life that. A lot of the contacts I had made in the so-called underground here, I started bringing around to Brian. The press started paying attention, national press, underground press, all the people. He was getting phone calls from Paul McCartney and Andy Oldham. The mystique of Brian Wilson was growing. And Michael Vossi as well, he was brought on just as kind of an assistant to Brian to, to kind of like help set up a film company, which they were going to call Home Movies, which is a terrible name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, yeah, so, so one of the first things that he brought Michael Vossi on to do was to go over to Michigan um, for a Beach Boys concert, which is a segue into what Wyatt's going to talk about now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, basically, I think we've mentioned this before at some point, but they were they were going to record and they did record two shows at the University of Michigan, um, 
and uh, Brian came out, as far as I know, to kind of oversee the construction of Good Vibrations on stage. Yeah. Yeah, they were kind of nervous about it and wanted him there. So they recorded these shows, and and uh, on the second show, on the encore, Brian was, was uh, persuaded to come out and join them for Johnny Be Good. Hey, Brian. Stick your head out at least. Our leader's standing in the corner. Cousin and brother Brian Wilson is standing right back there. Just stick your head out. Come on, Brian! He writes all those cotton picking songs. He writes all these rotten songs, you know? Hey. And hey. produces and arranges them. Anytime, babe. Anytime. Audience participation, you know, get up. That little laughs. It's pretty crazy. I mean, if you think about everything else that was going on with Brian at the time, he, like, you know, flew out to Michigan and shows up for the encore. Um, doing Johnny B. Good of all things. You know, you would it would just it would be so much cooler to see him come out and play and sing on good vibrations but he he should know. have been doing the theremin part instead of mike exactly <laughs> hey man they expect me to play this woo woo machine this is ridiculous e flat aren't you we aren't too nervous for this song it's the second night we've tried it if the light man would just dim the lights a little in fact turn them out i'd like to go look for a fire hydrant well Enough for the locker room patter. Now, the, these recordings have been released. Um, and the band is, is really good, but Good Vibrations is, is not great. I mean, it's... <laughs> Mike, it's, it really it's, isn't. Yeah, you really can't do the theremin part while you're singing at the same time. It's quite funny. Uh, yeah, which, I mean, who could? I mean, it's really difficult to, to, to put together, and it doesn't seem like they had that much time to rehearse. Mike saw this as a problem, you know, going back into Pet Sounds. It's like, how are we going to perform this music live? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's something that we're talking about. Like, I don't think it would have been for this tour. It would have been for, like, afterwards. When, after they got back from Europe, they were kind of talking about the idea of going out with, like, an, you know, with a horn section like they did in, right. I think, was it 68 yeah. when they started that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, they were talking yeah. about doing that all the way back then. But it didn't happen for whatever reason. So there was another thing with the Michigan concerts, which is, this is actually mentioned in... Um, an article that came out in 1966 that Michael Vossi actually wrote. Yeah. Um, and they're like in the taxi on the way to the concert. Um, Brian just like got out his tape recorder because he had a big Nagra tape recorder at the time um, for <laughs> all these experimental recordings. And he just recorded like the taxi driver giving directions. And like it says in the article that Brian afterwards was listening to it in the hotel room, like cracking up like this is this is real comedy and stuff. Wow. We're now in, are we in Chicago now? 
No, sir. When you get off of this center highway, you're automatically in, 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 out of Chicago property. Uh, you are entering this flames right now. We are. Yes, sir. Des Moines or Des I don't understand. Pardon me? Des uh, how do you explain this thing? Uh, take well, a perfect where, circle. Where are we right now? Now you're in Rosemont. Rosemont. How many cities do they got here in a row? <laughs> like, I, I don't really understand what's so funny about it, but and this, yeah, and this is when Brian um, on the uh, we got the plane back and had this insane idea to get all of his friends at that point to like he was on the plane and made like an emergency call to Marlin um, at the airport to like get basically everyone he knew in a social circle up to the airport and like really early in the morning to take a fo like a photo session and it's just imagine you're brian wilson's friend <laughs> and he's like everyone get get over to the airport and you're like what what and then all you just do is take a picture it's it's just funny as well looking at that photo to think that like brian's standing there with like his <laughs> looking goofy with his like blue top that's what he would have looked like when he said johnny be good <laughs> And you didn't have any yeah. you would have just been standing That's there. what I was thinking. I'm like, man, did he come out there with a striped shirt on? Like, what yeah. was it? No, he would have um, just been whatever he was wearing at the time. And I would it, assume. For anyone who's like really wants to see this picture, doesn't know what we're talking about, if you search up like Brian Wilson Airport 1966, it'll be the first thing you see. So, yeah, right after that, they, they left for their um, second European tour um, to support Good Vibrations. And Good Vibrations was obviously a huge hit in Europe. This was, you know, really amazing, the fact that when they changed into their, you know, what I relate to as their Sheffield Wednesday shirts, remember the blue and white shirts, which they wore to this time, it was a uniform, and, they, you know, it was like rubbing down with white horse oils, they would all change at the, immediately at the same time, the whole thing was a, such a professional operation, I'm sure it rubbed off on a lot of British acts later on, uh, I think it opened a lot of people's eyes to how business like these guys were i mean the fan following uh, was was just absolutely amazing the girls you know just would do anything to get into the into the dressing room and uh, you know uh, to get them out of theaters uh, was just an amazing scene you had to think of new ideas all the time i think you know once we got into a car and there were three girls on the floor of the car who actually got in whether they bribed the driver or not i don't know but they were in the car waiting you know i think they enjoyed the ride I have to compliment the English for their total acceptance of pet sounds and good vibrations. That was the only saving grace. I guess they're just more sophisticated in, in their musical taste. So there's kind of this like, the, the kind of like prevalent sort of narrative that's like always talked about when people talk about Smile is that like the Beach Boys were away kind of having this sort of triumphant tour on the back of good vibrations in, in Europe. Um, and Brian was at home, he cut all the tracks, they got back and kind of flipped out. But like, if you look at the dates, that's really not true at all. Like, <laughs> they were there for October when he was recording most of the songs and they did vocals on them. Sure. They didn't miss out on a whole lot. Like, they they would have been there and aware of like everything that was going on. They didn't just get back and find this whole album worth of tracks and kind of flip out about how hmm. weird and new it was. Like, you know, they were, they were, they were pretty much like in touch with everything that was happening at the time. So on October 27th, um, working on Heroes and Villains, and I'm in great shape. And then on November 4th at Western, um, Surf's Up, and then also Psychedelic Sounds. Yeah, this was just a weird thing. Like, it's after he kind of he did the session for the first part of Surf's Up. Right. And then him and his friends, um, I don't know what cover Psychedelic Sounds later, so I may as well you know, talk about it now. It was him and his friends, David Annalee, Michael Vossi, and um, Bob Gordon, who's a photographer, I think. I think he was a photographer. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and Van Dyke Parks. It's about 
40 minutes of them like having these like sort of fake arguments and like these <laughs> doing these sketches with like an ice cream van showing up while Brian's playing the Good Vibrations bridge riff on the piano and then they start doing like vegetable themed chants and then like swimming themed chants and just making saying different fish names and stuff and at one point Brandeis like hey we could all whistle this and Brian's like no no music I just want you to talk in like a sort of rhythm and it's yeah, really strange. Yeah it's just Brian kind of expanding his really really weird sense of humor and just trying to get his friends to just like kind of come up with little skits. Brian? Brian? Brian where are you? I'm in the piano. Come out of there, man! Man, I'm stuck between the C and the C sharp. We'll try to get out. I did, but I hit my head on the mallet. Let's see, how are we gonna get him out, dude? I don't know. Freezing in here. Let's see if we can play him out. Really cool. No, don't hit the C sharp. Oh, oh. I'm sorry. Ow. This could have been for a, a different project entirely. Yeah, there was kind of talk um, about a humor album and stuff at the same time, which right. might have been separate to Smile, like just on Brother Records. Um, yeah, so yeah. he so he was um he was into chants as well for some reason. Like there was kind of like his friends have kind of talked about they would just be sitting around the house and Brian would get them all like making Hawaiian noises and stuff and this is just right. kind of a short studio version of that, but <laughs> he did a lot more just at home. Um and then at the end of it, um Harv Humble Harv or Harvey Miller, who's um a guy from KHJ Radio showed up and did a short interview with him and Van Dyke and he played a bit of Heroes and Villains. Because the Beach Boys are known throughout the world, man. Period. The guys no. are in Germany right now. They'll be in England about four days. I mean, you know, the whole... In other it's words, pretty big all over. The whole thing, man. It's, uh, uh, this is the year that was, actually. It blossomed. Our next record's called Heroes and Villains. So a lot more sessions here throughout the year. Um, November 7th at Western, Talking Horns and Surf's Up. <laughs> yeah, it was it was the horn overdub session for Surf's Up. But before they did that, Brian like, got the, all the like, French horn players to like talk through their instruments and make weird noises and kind of put together yeah. a sketch. Like November was kind of... That. November was a weird month. Through their, their uh, French horns, they... Uh, oh no, I, I got caught in my French horn. No, one not. <laughs> oh no, I'm stuck in my uh, French horn. Yeah, I mean, these guys must have just thought, man, what is this guy doing? Like, <laughs> this sounds like they're having fun on the tape. I'm like a classically trained instrumentalist, and like I'm in here. Like, <laughs> and apparently Brian wanted us to get them paid extra for that, but it wasn't in like the union rules or whatever. <laughs> then uh, throughout the rest of uh, November, doing more sessions, um, My Only Sunshine, and vegetables. Getting Hal Blaine into doing like this weird comedy sketch. We'll talk about that later. But yeah, okay. Yeah. So more skits. Oh, <clears throat> is it all right if I take a couple of these carrots? I said no. I don't want you to have them. Let me just put them in my glove Look, compartment. Look, I spent a lot of time on the weekends growing those. Vegetables. I haven't had anything to eat for weeks. Would you just move on? Why can't I have a little? Move bit on. Of Get a job somewhere and buy some vegetables. And then at Gold Star, starting to work on the elements. Mm. You know. Kind of the beginning of the unraveling for Brian was this fire session. Which I was getting pretty far out by that time. Well, it so happens that a building burned down the same day we were doing that down the street of the studio that we were doing the fire tapes. 
everybody was just having fun, and the guys, I mean, the guys loved it. I had the musicians wearing fire helmets. I had a guy bring in a bucket with burning wood to smell a smoke in the, in the studio. I mean, I was crazy. It was like, all of this was so much fun. And I was watching the guy in crisis. And I knew that all of a sudden, if this was a joke, it was at someone's expense. And whose expense was it but Brian's? So yeah, but it's 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 also kind of interesting because um, the whole thing about the elements is a bit vague. You know, there was going to be a track on the album called "The Elements," which you know we'll get into later. But in those um, psychedelic sounds sessions, you get like we know vegetables had something to do with it at the start. Cause maybe like my vegetables is mentioned in some of the Frank Holmes artwork as a lyric from a song called "The Elements." So maybe that's all it was at the start. Hmm. But during that sort of psychedelic sounds thing, he's got like Brian's got all of his friends like doing like these vegetable chants and he's got them like doing these underwater things like breathing exercises and it's kind of like they're all themed about the sort of like you know these ideas about kind of the elements that he was into at the time so it's kind of all it's it's all from the same sort of pool yeah, of ideas we'll, we'll get into like later how this all sure translates to to the recordings but it just seems like he was changing his mind all the time and yeah that makes it really hard to kind of narrow down what's part of what song with mm-hmm. the whole vegetables fire session all that it's about after that that everything's starting to sort of unravel. Yeah. And it's interesting how obviously a lot of the songs weren't finished, but Van Dyke pretty much considered his work done and Brian pretty much considered his work done. Yeah, they did yeah, so he didn't have anything to do with Child's Father or the man at the time, other than like telling Brian where the quote actually came from that he was using as a lyric in it. Um the songs they wrote together would have been like Heroes and Villains, Surf's Up, Wonderful, Cabin Essence, Do You Like Worms? Um, vegetables, wind chimes, and like that was it. Um, so it would it wouldn't have been so. Yeah, they weren't kind of collaborating on the whole album. It would have been just like most of it. Right. I worked for Brian, not with. He was it. When the Beach Boys got back from Europe, they immediately started a U.S. tour, um, and Brian was still working almost every day um, until the end of the year. During this time, he was filmed at home for uh, a special called Inside Pop. And this is a very famous clip where he's playing Surf's Up at home at the piano. For a long time now, I've been fascinated by this strange and compelling scene called pop music. And it's mostly trash. But that good 5% is so exciting and vital, and may I say significant, that it claims the attention of every thinking person. It's, there's so much emotion in it. There's, it's such a great recording. It's so cool to see the inside of his house. Oh, yeah. And it's pretty much like the only recording that people had seen of, like, Brian Wilson, you know, not like the Beach Boys. Here is a new song, too complex to get all of first time around. It could come only out of the ferment that characterizes today's pop music scene. Brian Wilson leader of the famous Beach Boys and one of today's most important pop musicians, sings his own Surf's Up. I wanted to touch on the sandbox because um, there's no pictures of the sandbox, yeah, right? Really like that, that we actually have. Like there's, there's that, that inside pop video 
which we assume is in the sandbox, but you never <laughs> see the sandbox. You would think that for something like that, they would show the sandbox. Yeah. Like how, like, I mean, there's mm. there's a chance he had the sandbox like removed before that. Uh-huh. Um, but that's definitely the piano that was in the sandbox. So like that's where it would have uh-huh. been. Or that's maybe yeah. where it was. We don't know. Mine was not to ask why, nor to reason why. This was his house and his sandbox. Yeah, David Oppenheim, who was the um, producer, who'd done like kind of documentaries on Stravinsky and well, yeah. He was the one who did the Inside Pop documentary. But yeah, I think he said that the, the sandbox was there when he was there. So logically, the sandbox would have been there, but I really don't know. You'd think like any cameraman filmed with Brian would like, okay, we've got to get a shot of that. So I've got no idea. We had some people bring a sandbox into our, my living room and we had a box off with wood so, it would, so the sand wouldn't fall over the house. And Van Dyke and I worked on, on little songs and sitting at the sandbox, my piano was right in the sandbox. When people would come over and see it, they would say, what in the heck are you doing? You know, that's very creative. And so what did you write in the sandbox? We wrote Heroes and Villains, Cabin Essence, Surf's Up, and Wonderful in the sandbox. It was a pretty good sandbox. Yeah, it was a great sandbox, yeah. And as well, um, in his house at the time, he got this giant, like, Arabian tent in his living room. <laughs> yeah. He filled up, like, the whole room and, yeah. you know, and there was no ventilation in there, which, you know, caused a lot of problems for you know, the activities that they were into at the time. You'd go in there and be like, you couldn't see the person across the tent the other side. So full of smoke. No vent. So Brian, why are you supposed to have a vent at the top? Oh, no, no, I don't want a vent. <laughs> what would you do when you were in the tent? I'd uh, eat sandwiches. At one point as well, he had all of the furniture taken out of his living room, apart from the color TV, and had like mm-hmm. gym mats and like all gym equipment and stuff, but right. which l- didn't last long at all because he wanted everyone to exercise, but um, <laughs> for some reason. Well, he decided one night that he wanted to, uh, for all of us to be healthy. So he somehow got rid of all the furniture that was in the living room, and they were all, uh, we, I walked in, and the whole living room was just blue mats, blue tumbling mats. I wanted other people to exercise, but I really didn't want to do it. I was too lazy to do it. <laughs> and as well, he had a heated pool installed, so they'd have meetings in the swimming pool. And I think the final straw was he wanted to um, to have like a chute that would like a slide that would slide down into his bed from a different room. And it was going to be completely enclosed, so you could only get in and out via the slide. Right. And his business manager was like, nope. And then Brian sort of sulked about <laughs> it for a week and then moved house. <laughs> these, are, these are like ideas that I had when I was like 10. Yeah. It felt real kind of, almost made me dizzy. We were on such a creative role, I almost got dizzy. <laughs> I almost got dizzy. So some, sometime in December, they um, they put together kind of a provisional sort of track list. Not, not an actual track list for like the album in order, but just the songs that would be on the album. List of titles, basically. Do Like Worms, Wind Chimes, Heroes and Villains, Surf's Up, Good Vibrations, Cabin Essence, I'm In Great Shape, Child's Father and the Man, The Elements, Vegetables, and the old master painter, which was like in parentheses from the parentheses were crossed out. And there's a did, lot of. Did you of, say wonderful? I think. <laughs> so, um, so, the, so the, there were these twelve songs in this list, and there's kind of a lot of like controversy about it. Um, people saying that, like, you know, it's not in Brian's handwriting, and people are saying that, like, Carl just put it together, like, behind his back or whatever. So it's it's either in the handwriting of Carl or Diane Ravel, you know, his sister-in-law and secretary, oh. probably Diane. Yeah. Um, but like, and Brian was apparently questioned, said he'd never seen it before. But like, the, the, Brian was the producer of the album. He definitely like dictated this list and like approved it and had it sent off to Capitol to like do a mock-up of the back cover. Um, and things like changed around later and stuff. He was probably just doing it to kind of like 
get them off his back. But Brian was definitely like, you know, he's the one who's responsible for this, even if it's not in his handwriting. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Um, and I always wondered like how much to read into that that track yeah. listing. So, mm-hmm. so basically, there's plenty of, of Beach Boys albums where the songs are not listed in order. And they say, like, see the label for the actual playing order. Mm-hmm. So this was just for Capital to make some some mock-up covers for promotion. Right. And it's basically just... His his mind was constantly changing, but it's basically just the 12 songs that were going to be on the album in a random order. Um, at that time. At that time period. Right. There is some mystery to that, but, you know, it was, was going to be, despite all the weird kind of recording, it would have been a normal 12-song album with separate songs and yeah (laughs) smile is the name of the new beach boys album which will be released in january 1967 and with the happy album cover the really happy sounds inside and a happy in-store display piece you can't miss we're sure to sell a million units in january worth noting that in early 1967 carl wilson received a u.s army draft notice but he refused to be sworn in i got a notice to report for for physical and it was just one of those things that i never got around to thinking about or making a move on because i I just never came up you know and it came up and so i thought okay now what is my position on this and I just applied for conscientious objector on religious grounds. We were in court many times over about a six-year period. And that was a very strange experience to go through. Yeah, so I thought it was kind of interesting that he used it like religious grounds, that he that his, his moral obligation to God or whatever. Like, I don't, I just, it just sounds, this doesn't sound like Carl to me, but, you know, I guess that was just, that was the 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 angle that he decided to take so yeah um um so the, so the whole thing in january was um like they kind of they needed a single to launch brother records basically so that's why brian just kind of stopped everything else on the album and started doing like endless heroes and villains for like two months um but um january it's a weird one because the album was supposed to be due for like january 15th that was kind of the deadline um to hand into capital yeah, so so Brian kind of misses this deadline and spends all of January just doing like the weirdest stuff. Like he does this a new version of Wonderful, which is we'll get into. It's just the the strangest thing that's come that comes out of the whole sessions. Um, is that the like Rock with Me? Rock with Me, Henry. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, yeah. yeah. And then it's like ten days after the album was supposed to be due in, and he still hasn't really done anything else. He starts recording mm-hmm. um, Jasper Daily records, which was Jasper Daily was a photographer who kind of like took photos in the studio and. You know, he was. He, there's loads of great photos going around that Jasper took, um, but Brian, Brian thought, thought he had a funny voice, so he decided to kind of like record some songs for him. I think one of his friends talked about like Brian going up to Capitol and like playing a dub of like the Jasper Daly songs and them just looking at him like, what? Is happening here <laughs> and brian's like i think it's just neat <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so i want to kind of talk about in the month of january where he's working on heroes and villains um the rest of the album he just kind of like puts it on hold 
Yeah. But what's interesting is he starts changing his mind about like what he wants the song Heroes Villains to be like. Because originally it had like Barnyard at the end and I'm in Great Shape as like a bridge and it was going to be like this weird musical comedy. But then he decides he kind of wants something else and he starts borrowing like sections of music from other like completed songs that he had. Like the bicycle rider chorus and do you like worms he decides okay this is going to be the chorus of heroes and villains now rather than the chorus of do you like worms so he like at first what he wants to do is actually use that recording in heroes and villains as the chorus but then he later you know re-records it in a in a different key yeah he's like leaving he's he's just kind of like stealing from from himself semi sort of finished album that like he can't really fill again um and kind of a, again, yeah. like a lot's been said about the idea that Smile was supposed to have like kind of like reprise sort of themes throughout all the songs, but really it seems like Brian kind of scrapped anything as soon as he used the same music in something else. Like, like in Look, for example, he used like the kind of like instrumental kind of like Glockenspiel um, melody for a part of Good Vibrations, and then just stopped working on that track. Um, and he was yeah, so so he wasn't intentionally like having repeated musical themes between all these songs he was literally just stealing from himself and like kind of like making holes all over the album in the process which was really probably a, a big part of what kind of made it unravel yeah and a- another example of that is like in heroes and villains one of the versions he just takes my only sunshine part two like which is like half of that song just the tag and like completely mm. takes it and just uses it as a tag for heroes and villains so he's just kind of he's kind of tearing apart his own album that you know he could have finished just to create some single that would give the beach boys some success And at this point as well, like in the same on like February tenth, Brian mixes down a version of Heroes and Villains, which is you know it's been released on like dozens of kind of box sets now, which was at the time may have been like his kind of like final A side. It seems like only like a, like five days later he kind of changed his mind and started like re-recording and adding new parts and stuff. Yeah. But like he did kind of have a like finished version of it at that point. It's interesting. Yeah, they they went into Colombia to do vocals for Heroes and Villains, but this was just, like, chance, right? Yeah, we, we, we'll get to that, like, in, in the yeah. Heroes episode, probably. But, yeah, we, he was recording, like, these four kind of, like, chant variations. and Yeah. It's, it's where G comes from, which was not going to be, like, its own thing as an intro to that. It was, that's, yeah, it was that's, just one of them. It's basically um, a section of Heroes and Villains. So also here, um, the Beach Boys sued Capital for unpaid back royalties and two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars for an outdated breakages clause. This this was one of the biggest things that like brought down the album because they spent the whole of like the next kind of like month and a bit just locked in this kind of like lawsuit with Capital and it put a halt on like everything and just you know created tension and that's when Brian and all of his friends kind of started becoming estranged. And so that, yeah, it, it was responsible for a lot of, you know, a lot of the downfall. Yeah. So March 1st and 2nd, um, heroes and villains, those are both at Western. Yep. 
Yeah, so one of those sessions, um, you can hear on the box that he completely mm -hmm. redoes the, the first verse of Heroes and Villains, which was like yeah. the first thing he recorded. So, I mean, this was all, he was constantly changing his mind about the song, but he's he was just like, we got to go back to square one here. Yeah, and then that's about when everything just sort of stopped. One night, Brian and I were driving to Dolores's for him to get burgers and fries and pie. And he turned on the radio and something came on from the Beatles. I was on second all, you know, those kind of pills, downers. And I was real relaxed. And when Strawberry Fields came on the radio, I like locked in with it. I like, I, I locked right in with it. And like took me, I had to pull over my car over to the side, listen to it. And I said, I've never heard anything like this in my life. And he just shook his head and he said, they did it already. I said, they did what? And he said, what I wanted to do, smile. You know, maybe it's too late. He called me one time and wanted to have a meeting, and it was uh, maybe three or four in the morning. And I went up to the house, and we had to have the meeting in the middle of the pool because they can't bug a pool. This is, for me, the beginning of the end of the humor, joy, happiness, love. I don't know where it was coming from, but there was definitely a paranoia growing in his head. In early March as well, well, you know, everything, like, Brian's just like stays away from the studio for almost a whole month. This is uh, Van D at this point, Van Dyke Parks has been signed for Warner Brothers, and he's not doing a full album yet. But he starts recording Donovan Scholars um, as a single, right? And to, it's kind of like a sort of like to get the green light to do a full album. Um, and apparently, like he was already recording that by early March, so you know he was already kind of had his head in his own project. It was clear to me, I think, probably before anyone else that Brian was headed for a, a, uh, an emotional collapse. Brian made it clear to me that he wanted to do something without restraint or apology or explanation to the rest of the group. And um, he honestly felt that I was a big enough uh, guy to handle the door. There's no question of that. I wasn't a big enough guy. So yeah, the band goes on another sort of mini tour in the US uh, in in March, uh, and then Brian buys a new home. Road. Yeah, this house is kind of more, you know, what you would associate with like a rock star. Yeah, I mean, it's like hidden off the street. Um, he he was living right next to uh, John and Michelle Phillips from Mamas and the Papas, and um, a, a few different reasons why he would move into that house. Like one of them was he just got tired of everybody coming over. Mm, yeah. um, or Marilyn also kind of was like sick of all the people that would come over and much more secluded. But yeah, we'll get into that. And this this house is is where they recorded a ton of their material in the late sixties. So yeah, it's in the studio early seventies um, as well. So some great great stuff happened there. And I think I think Marilyn said as well that like she thinks that's maybe what happened to a big part of what happened to Smile. Like you know they moved into a new house and just kind of got a fresh start and you know wanted to start doing new things and forgetting yeah. about everything that had happened over the past few months. So sure. Yeah. Well, they're back doing vegetables, um, over about a week. We don't really know what was happening here. Like if, if smile was kind of still happening or not, we think it kind of was, but uh -huh. it wasn't vegetables with the hyphen anymore. It's just vegetables. I see. Yeah. And the plan was for it to, <laughs> and the plan was for it to be a new single. Maybe like Mike's mm -hmm. kind of talked about it saying that like Brian was just doing that to kind of like put on the label and 
like force them to advertise it so we had leverage over them or something about like going to a farmer's market and having promo photos taken mm-hmm. there but yeah basically they spent like the start like the first half of april just non-stop recording vegetables in a new studio it was armin steiner's um who had like an eight track machine somewhere mm-hmm. other than columbia um and van dyke was doing donovan's colors there as well carl tested it out with like tones in early march so yeah they just had like a big spree of sessions there um in the first half of the month and did a new version of wonderful and a short child is father of the man thing and it's at this point that paul mccartney came over to visit on one of the days which has been talked about to death (laughs) and we'll probably cover it in the vegetables one i guess yeah definitely yeah i remember on that song when they were doing the vocals on it paul mccartney had come in town that day and brian had met him before and i guess paul you know wanted to meet with brian and the guys again and so he came over to the studio there, and I don't know who got all the vegetables, but Brian wanted carrots and celery. And they, when they were doing that, they were actually chomping on vegetables. And Paul came in the studio, and <laughs> he didn't know what was happening. And Brian's sitting there, you know, at the board, mixing down certain vocals, and he's taking the celery stick, and he takes this big thing of salt and just like throws it on the table there, you know, here in the middle of the studio. And Paul looks at him like, you know, what is happening? And all of a sudden he picks up a celery stick and does the same thing. (laughs) It was really funny. But uh, Brian was really into vegetables then. Did I get it? And then a a weird thing happens um, on like the, I think the 29th of April, there's an NME article that says like Brian said that all 12 of the, the tracks for the album are now completed and it's ready to be rush released on like, like rush released at any moment. And then like only a week later, Derek Taylor's in like disco musical echo, like disco music echo, like, yep, the album's scrapped. <laughs> so we've got no idea what happened there. At sometime in April, Brian was appointed to the board of the Monterey pop festival, which was going to take place in June. We were supposed to headline the Monterey Pop Festival, but at the last minute, Brian backed out. Monterey was a turning point in rock and roll. Overnight, the whole scene changed, and we felt as if we'd been passed by. What was the, the reason for you not doing that? Well, concert? there were a lot of reasons. Carl Wilson was, had just been arrested by the FBI and was going through that. Uh, Dennis Wilson was going through some personal hassles himself, and, and uh, I guess I was ready to go. And then Brian got sort of cold feet on the situation because he didn't really trust that the people there uh, on that organization were going to do right with the money and everything. And certain, sure enough, there was a scandal about that. Tough two days, that was. I mean, it was really tough. I couldn't believe it. Nobody could believe it. Lou Adler said, what? What? I said, they won't do it. And the festival was the poorer without them, but it was so marvelous anyway that it, in the end it didn't matter. But it would have been better with them because they were representative of very good music. I think everyone profited from that festival so much. It was such a turning point, but it would have helped them, yeah. Who knows what would have happened. They were at, like at the top of the world at the end of 1966 with good vibrations and yeah, it was such a cool revolutionary yet like extremely catchy song. And they just had like this big window that where they just did nothing. (laughs) 
Yeah, it was kind of like their moment to do like kind of what the Beatles did, which was just you know they kind of had the, the liberty to just release any like song or album, no matter how weird, and people would buy it because they kind of like you know were prepared for that coming from them, and they put out good vibrations and had that for a few months, and then just didn't do anything, and then it sort of just faded away. And by the time they did put out like Heroes and Villains, Smiley Smile, it was just gone, like all that goodwill that they had to go on. At that time, if you wanted to like remain popular and remain like a band that sold a lot of records, you needed to just put them out constantly. And then there's there's just nothing in between Good Vibrations in October and Heroes and Villains. I knew I needed I, at least a, a year more to work on it. And I figured no one would give me a year to complete it. It's funny as well, like all the, all the excuses they had in the press at the time for like the reason they don't have a single out. Like Dennis is like quoted as saying, like we've released the title Heroes and Villains, and we think that's good enough for now because we're not in it to just make money. And it's like what? And, yeah. um, and Derek Taylor kind of spins this crap about like Brian being perfectionist and like like the longer the delays are, and it will mean like it's more artistically fulfilling and stuff. And it, you can tell like nobody really, no, nobody really knew what to tell the public, like the reasons for why they hadn't done anything. Yeah. <laughs> we got, I got tired of it. I just got tired of the direction we were going in, you know? I didn't like it. So what? at what point does Smile become Smiley Smile? Okay, so there isn't really a, a like, exact moment where the Smile project is no longer and it's now Smiley mm-hmm. Smile. There's some sessions in um, mid-May that for love to say dada which they're like you know big studio productions and everyone says this this was like the the last smile moment maybe it was a b-side maybe it was a new album track or something i don't know and then like at the start of june it hasn't really changed either like the beach boys come back from tour and they do like like three versions of with me tonight like in quite quick succession and the first version of cool cool water but it's still at like they're doing it at um, Sound Recorder Studio and Weston, like with Chuck Britz, and they, they kind of scale it back a little bit. It's mostly just them, and they brought in like Chuck Bergenhofer to play bass on one session. But you know, it's no, it's no different really to everything they were doing with like April with the vegetable sessions and like Heroes yeah. and Villains, just doing it like with Brian on a keyboard and then adding vocals. Like nothing's really changed yet. Yeah. So like, there's kind of this overlap where. The Smile album, as it was originally conceived, is like long gone, but they're kind of recording in a similar style. Um, they're doing something new, but they're not really sure yet. And yeah. then in like around May, no, sorry, June like 11th and 12th, Brian gets an 8-track studio put in his home with like radio equipment and, you know, Jim Locker as the engineer um, recommended by um, Chuck Britz to kind of like help them run that. And even then, it's not really Smiley Smile yet because they're just, they went into Brian's house to do more work on Heroes and Villains, but they're using the same tracks as earlier. They're re-recording some new parts, but really it's just the same style as everything they've been doing in a new location and working on the old tracks. Yeah. If there's like, if there's like a date that you could put as like the start of Smiley Smile, it would probably be like, you know, after like June 15th, I think, when they started doing Vegetables, like a new version of it, and Brian did, like, it's just him playing bass and nothing else. Like a yeah. single hmm. note thumping away. That's like that's, that's that's like the hard transition into something like a completely new style. And then from then it's just consistent recording in Brian's house for like a month and a half. We, you know, did it in three weeks. We had about six months before that we were doing different things, but we jumped. Ended up doing the whole thing here at the house with a sort of an entirely different mood and approach than we originally started out, you know. So 
the short answer is there is no date where smile ends and smiley smile begins. Yeah. I'm excited to to get more into that stuff. I, I gotta yeah, gotta slow down at the oh, moment because yeah, I really want to <laughs> talk more about smiley smile. But yeah, I think that'll that that's a great like just overview of like generally like what happened in about a year. Yeah, they they went like did some live shows in Hawaii for a live album. Um, oh yeah, that didn't end up happening in, in August, and then in September, Smiley Smile finally came out, which is like crazy to think about how late that was. Like it's yeah we're already kind of doing well, funny by the time. Yeah, it's crazy. My, like, any, like a result of this, like, kind of year and a half of one-off work, finally actually saw the light of day. Like, no wonder people didn't buy it because it was just so like mm-hmm. it left it for way too long. The angle that I never really got was like everyone would say, you know, Mike Love hated Smile, and some right. of the other Beach Boys did. So, because it was too out there and and too weird, so they did. They, they, made a much they did out. Smiley Smile <laughs> instead, like, <laughs> which is much weirder and less commercial. Yeah. And that's one of the other things is like the whole, the the whole narrative that Brian threw the tapes away or, or whatever threw them into a fire. So you still have, I mean, oh, these yeah. recordings all still exist. Like oh, yeah. hearing of recordings oh, being destroyed. That is really, really silly. Makes a great legend. That's hmm. just a silly little something that Brian probably. Said. <laughs> <laughs> Try burning the tape. I think it was Jules Siegel who said it. Is that who? He said that the tapes were burnt. Yeah. Well, the problem is it's just, you know, dumb and not the truth. And um, for some reason, that narrative just, like, carried on and on and on. And, mm-hmm. that, you know, we'll never hear this stuff. The tapes don't exist anymore. And and it still carries on. For the, for the most part, the, the recordings were still intact and just sitting in, the, sitting in the Capitol vaults. You know, to this day, I do not know what smile consists of. To me, Smile is just a lot of things that they've already put into other songs. You know, I mean, really. One thing about when Brian writes, if he writes something, he may take and put three different riffs or ideas from one song he's writing into another song. I mean, it's just so confusing. He knows what it's all about, I don't. So let's get into a couple emails that I saved up um, with a couple little questions that you guys can help me answer. Um, and then as we go through these episodes, I'll try and get some more questions. And maybe at the end, we could do like a general smile Q&A um, sure. when we wrap the whole thing up. But um, just to kick things off, these are some ones that I have gotten over the past year or two. Um, the first one is from Andy Caldwell says, hey guys, I started listening to your podcast, great stuff, and look forward to more. I was a Beach Boys fan first, and as a result, became a Smile fan mixer. In fact, there is a whole community of fan mixers that started years back with early Smile bootlegs, and has progressed through the years. The 2011 Smile box really opened the door to the Smile fan mixing. There are endless discussions, historical assertions, mixes, thoughts about sequencing, and Brian's intent in forums like Steve Hoffman and Smiley Smile that border on obsession. I personally spent two years ripping, researching, mixing, and moving the puzzle pieces around only to scuttle the whole thing and start over. Sound familiar? What I ended up with was a mix based on an article called The Zen Interpretation of Brian Wilson and Van Dyke Park's Smile. As new material becomes available, the water chant, for example, so do new possibilities. As you can see, 
It is a compulsion, and there are others who share, compare, and discuss their mixes, all for the love of what I believe is the best music ever assembled. Thanks for listening. Andy Caldwell. What do you guys think? Like, is there is there a fan mix of Smile that you think is probably closer to the original intent than maybe the the released version that we have? No. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, you, you go first. But. Um, the fast answer to that, the easy answer is no. We have no idea like what the order of the songs would have been. There's some songs that are so far from finished that we don't, we can't really construct in any way like a version that would have been on Smile. Um, but I mean the basic structure of the album as we know would have just been like a couple songs the 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 mixes basically the mixes that like kind of put it all together and segue between the different songs are not historically accurate to what Brian would have done at the time yeah it was just you know it was just an album of songs like separate songs that were kind of put together in a sort of like you know pocket symphony way I guess if you want to call it that but it was just an album of songs. It wouldn't like flow together like Abbey Road and stuff and Sergeant Pepper. It was, yeah. That that's that's kind of something that's kind of been tagged onto it in like, you know, in kind of like early bootleg circles. You know, they they never put to, like Brian probably never had a plan for the sequence of the album. That wasn't yeah. something that he that, really I mean, thought about until even everything with, was recorded. Well, yeah, with with every album before that, that's like the last step is to just like come up with an order. First step is mm-hmm. to yeah, record all the songs. So, I mean, he, he just never got Yeah, because wasn't so. there like a narrative about like it was like a, a trip across the United States or something, like starting in Plymouth Rock and going through the plains and the south? That's a and, really strange one. It's kind of right. like this This thing's been circulated over the years that like the album was a travelogue about a bicycle rider from Plymouth Rock to Hawaii. Right. And that's just the song Do You Like Worms. That's just that's, that's just what one song's about. Like there was no, yep. there, there was a unifying concept of, you know, Brian's kind of humor theory and wanted to kind of like give people kind of a spiritual kind of revelation and you know there are obviously themes tying the album together the Van Dyke want to kind of explore early sort of like Americana and Manifest Destiny and Brian was into the whole elements thing and it was Mm -hmm. just it was just a collection of like everything that was going through his brain at the same time but there was no story to the album like there was no narrative from A to B. Gotcha. Cool, let's do another one here from John McCarthy. says, hey guys, I love the show. My name is John. I'm 18 years old. I've been a fan of the Beach Boys since my dad introduced me to their music four years ago. He showed me pet sounds, and ever since then, the band is something special that we share. And I've been making my way through the hours and hours of content that the compilation album has when I stumbled on the sweet strings of Tune X. I can't seem to find any information about the song. Can you guys give me any background or context the song are there any other versions that exist out there thank you so much for all you do john shall i do this one yeah you can go ahead yeah okay we don't this is one that we really don't know much about at all it's um the title for it was probably like the actual title of the song was tones not tune x um that was that, that's something that kind of shows up on some documents elsewhere but like the consistent title that shows up on things for things is um tones but yeah yeah basically it was kind of like like the artist, it was on the artist for like the worksheet was listed as um, Carl Wilson, and it was for Brother Records. So it was the first ever thing that we we're gonna do for Brother Records, um, like after filing the lawsuit with Capital. Um, and like you know, it was authorized by Brian. He kind of like authorized the, the the session, but Carl was producing it by himself. And like everything kind of suggests that Carl wrote it himself. Like it's the music's really similar to the I don't know thing that Dennis did. Yeah, yeah. In January, like if John, if you want to talk about. That, like if it's because it's not quite the same as it yeah it, but it's similar. it's 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 pretty similar um 
it almost feels like two parts of the same song, but basically um, it's just something that they did on their own and really has nothing to do with the Smile Project. Like it would not have been on any version of the album had Brian completed it. Um, it's just kind of its own little side project that happens to take place in, at the same time. Um, and to, to answer the other question, the mix of two necks on the Smile Sessions is basically all you're going to get. Like none of the bootlegs offer anything more than that. So it's either just unreleased or, or missing. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, one more from our friend Jackie Capewell. She says, hey, kids, I've been looking at the Smile Sessions on CD. Some are priced at $12 and go up to 350 Are they all box sets? I want to get the most bang for my buck and listen in on Brian's brilliance, but I don't want to break the piggy bank. How do I know what to get? I'm boycotting Amazon and prefer to buy from eBay or other sellers. Thanks for any advice you can offer. I'm re-listening to many of your episodes of Sale On until my teeth are floating with info about Bri and the boys. I just can't get enough. And a lot of people who write in have the same problem I do. Can't find anyone to talk Beach Boys with except for the strangers I meet at concerts. My friends will never understand Brian's mastery and depth of his beautiful music. Even my kids give me the eye roll look when I talk about the group. Although I think it's pretty funny when one listener wrote about the beginning of Wouldn't It Be Nice sounding like the gunning down of the ice cream man. Brian was way ahead of his time. Be well. From Jackie Capewell. Um, I'll answer this one, but I just yeah. want to say about the ice cream one. <laughs> when, you, when I heard you guys talk about that when I first yeah. got into the podcast about a year ago, I have not been able to unhear it. <laughs> it's just every time I try to listen to it, it's pet so sounds, great. It's like the first yeah. thing that pops into my mind. I'm like, oh God. <laughs> but on the different releases of the Smile Sessions, um, there's a a vinyl one, um, which has like the like the album that they constructed um, across three sides, and then the fourth side has like some stereo mixes. And then there's there's two different CD editions. There's a like a two CD, which basically has like um, the main like album listening experience on the first disc, and then some like extra stuff on disc two, and that's the one that usually goes for around like thirty dollars or so. And then there's a box set which has like pretty much everything. It's got like five CDs of sessions. It's got the vinyl in it. It's got some other singles, um, and that one you can find for like a hundred bucks online if you're looking in the right places uh maybe a little cheaper so i think there's a one cd version as well isn't is it? there a one cd one i thought it was just a two cd yeah i think there's one with just disc one. Oh wow I, I, i'm sure i've seen that somewhere yeah yeah, yeah i just have there, the i just have the big box man i just yeah. i just go, go big <laughs> it's such a great piece i think it's worth the money even if you never even open it up just to have that thing on your shelf somewhere because it's great it looks nice and if, if if you just go for the two cd one that one also comes with like a little poster so like if you're just trying to not spend too much money um that's always a good option but i'd get the box yeah thanks jackie for writing uh hopefully we'll get up your way um again soon that's it for today i want to thank uh will and john for um, joining me today as you can see they know what they're talking about and they've they've done a lot of work um and i really appreciate you guys 
uh, sharing that with me and all, all of our listeners. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having us on. It's a facade. We're trying to mislead the public. <laughs> You can hear a much longer and more thorough version of my discussion with Will and John over at the Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com slash on. Big shout out to our latest patrons, Jerry Wine, John Kiesling, Martin Johansson, Paul Sacconi, and Brendan Armani. Thank you guys so much. We love you! As always, I'm very thankful to all the journalists, writers, sessionographers, historians, and the like for the road they've paved for the little guys like me to explore the history of America's band, our band, the Beach Boys. And a special thanks to the crew once again, Will, Crera, and John Brody, who humble me every day with their ridiculous knowledge of this band and every minute detail. And their dedication to getting it right and not just being right. And not to be confused with our very own Will C, a.k.a. Will Curley, who provides us with the amazing mixes we use as the cues and bumpers. Send me your smile stories, if you will, at sailonpodcast at gmail.com. Leave me a voicemail, 615-606-3887. And join in on the discussion on the Facebook group. There's a link in the show notes. All right. Until next time, my friends, hang on to your ego. And sail on, sailors. That microphone's wiggling. Oh no. It's, it's back me. again. Oh. I thought you fixed it. It's me. I'm in the microphone. You knocked me oh, out. Oh, it's buzzing again. How? Oh. I thought Van Dyke fixed please. it. Please. Put it up to your ear. No names, please. The place might be raided. <laughs> <laughs> I think the place is raided. Just now I got Put the... it in your ear and be okay. quick. I think I took care of it. Oh, oh uh, good. That's that better. That's really took care of it. Yeah, I think so. Hey, where's Brian? I don't know, man. He was in here and then he just uh, cut out. He just kind of disappeared. He was playing that microphone. Hey, man, right. we ought to just leave and lock the place up. He was up. adjusting a mic and then just left.